0: Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. These are both the word of the Lord.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Lorna. Good morning, all. Good to see you this morning. I'll pray and then we'll look at Jonah chapter 1. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we look into it this morning that it will speak powerfully to each one of us in regards to our own needs for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'm going to begin a series on the book of Jonah, so if you uh, need something to sort of read at any time, there is four chapters in the book of Jonah. And you can actually read them in uh, less time than it takes to read two pages of the new idea. So um, if you want to read Jonah, then you'll know where we're going. Some of you will remember the TV series, Rumpole of the Old Bailey. The chief character, Rumpole, used to call his wife, she who must be obeyed. And men often characterise their marriages in this way. I am the head of the house, and my wife told me to say so. (laughs) And I read in the Sun Herald this morning this little story. There was a couple with their three little children sitting in a cafe in, you read it too, in in Mossman and they were sitting there chatting away and the children were being well behaved and one of them asked them a question and the wife said this, it's because we are a team. You three are members of the team and I am the president and Dad is the vice president. (laughs) And the dad nodded. Well, when God spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament, a similar approach was expected by the prophets. When God spoke, the prophets did as they were told. They never, never, never disobeyed God. Two examples. Elijah's response to the word of God comes this way. In 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 3, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elisha. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And then the passage says, So he did what the Lord told him. In Jeremiah, we read these words. Take the belt you bought, And are wearing around your waist, and go now down to Pereth, and hide there in the crevice in the rocks. And so I went and hid in Pereth, as the Lord told me. But when we turn to Jonah, we see the reverse. God is aware of the great city of Nineveh, and of the Assyrians. And he wants Jonah to go and preach there. And like Elijah and Jeremiah, Jonah hears God clearly and determines to go on a thousand kilometre trip in the other direction. He has been told to go east and he went west. It is if he was told to go to New Zealand and he went to Perth. Why did, ob- did Jonah object and refuse to do what God told him? Three reasons. First of all, fear for his own life. It's a good reason. The Assyrians were cruel people. They were cruel warriors. If the Assyrians captured a city, many people would commit suicide rather than let the Assyrians get them. They would sometimes cut off one leg and one arm of a person and watch them bleed to death. Or they would pull out prisoners' tongues with fish hooks. Or they would decapitate people, put their heads on stakes and make the rest of the family parade through the city. With them like that. Now, I guess you and I would not want to fall into the hands of those people. If we were told to go there, we would cringe as well. Secondly, Jonah has a theological problem. He is the first prophet ever to be told to go and preach repentance to a people, of God, people who are not Israelites, who were not the people of God. You might remember that for 1,300 years beforehand, God had been saying to Jonah's people, you are my special people. I love you. I have chosen you. I have picked you out of all the peoples of the earth. You are my special people. And all the prophets preached to God's people. If they were falling away, like in the time of Elijah, he sent Elijah and said, repent, turn back. He did the same with Jeremiah and Isaiah. So they were his special people, and God sent someone, a prophet, to speak to them. But now for the first time ever, God sends a prophet to people who are not God's people in that special way and Jonah says no this can't be right he really had a problem how could these people be be brought under God's? judgment and love, couldn't understand it. The third thing is this, Jonah didn't trust God. God speaks to him, and he couldn't see any good reason for what God wanted. I think we've all had that experience, Suffering comes upon us, and suffering was certain to come upon Jonah, and we wonder what God is doing. We ask the question in many ways, why does God love me? But it boils down to, does God know what is best for me? And as far as Jonah was concerned, no, God didn't know what was best for him. He would do what was best for him. You see, Jonah was a man with a job that he didn't want to do. He didn't mind preaching, but he would choose his own pulpit. And when God gives him a preaching engagement in Nineveh, Jonah is not impressed. As a determined man, Jonah is actually prepared to give up everything. It is, it is no small thing for an Israelite to leave his country. It is no small thing for an Israelite to move away from his temple. which symbolically is being under the presence of God. And so Jonah, as verse 3 says to us, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. Now, there are two ways in which people run away from God. First is to actually reject God himself like many people in our world, in our country, in our street, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with God. I'll leave him alone as long as he leaves me alone. Sometimes people are apathetic. Sometimes people are actually antagonistic. The new atheists, for example... But I presume that the majority of us here are not in that category, and so the second way applies to each one of us. If you want to have a look with me at Colossians chapter three, the second passage, the, uh, the, the passage, the passage that uh, first passage that Lorna read to us, here is how followers of God are to live. First of all. Paul writes to us and says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. An important thing for us to bear in mind. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self. So they are things that God speaks to each one of us about. These are the things that we are not to do. But then he tells us what we ought to be doing. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. So here we need to be thinking, am I being a Jonah? Am I hearing God speak to me, but I am not going to do what he says? And you see, we can do actually do that. You know, we might say, well, God, I'll give you 95% of my life, but I'm going to keep this little sin for myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm going to harbour resentment against them. You don't know what they did to me, God. So I'm going to stay angry. Well, if you're like that, you're doing a Jonah. Because the word of God tells you not to do it. You know, you might decide, well, I'll be compassionate to those 99 people. But that one person, no, they don't deserve compassion. I'm just going to be narky to them. If that's the way it is, then you are fleeing from the word of God. And so we need to think about that. Jonah flees. Well, God continues to actually chase Jonah. Verse 4 says to us, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The word sent is probably pretty weak. It's an insipid word. If any of you have ever watched a javelin thrower, you will get more of an idea of what the Hebrew word meant. A javelin thrower throws with an enormous thrust. And that is the sort of word that is used here of God sending this wind. It's not just a little gentle lop, boop. No, it is a violent, strong, powerful wind. And it is so great that the ship begins to break up. And it must have been bad because here we have experienced sailors. And what are we told in verse 5? All sailors were afraid. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. There are no atheists in foxholes or storms at sea. They all cry out to their inverted commas, God, whatever it might be. Please get me out of this fix. It's often what the world does, doesn't it, when it doesn't have any any relationship with God and our Lord Jesus Christ? They'll look somewhere, you know, and they'll call out. Or they'll do something. And so they do that. And they throw the cargo overboard. And it has no effect. So the captain goes looking for Jonah. And here we see Jonah's hardness of heart. The ship is like this and and he decides to sleep. These people's lives are in peril. And he just sleeps. And so the captain rightly says, how can you sleep? The captain's got a conscience. Jonah doesn't seem to have one. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and that we will not perish. And so they call Jonah up on the top of the ship and they ask him questions. What kind of work do you do? What do you? Where do you come from? What's your country? And then he replies in a back-to-front way. He says to them, I am a Hebrew. He tells them what country he comes from. Then he says, I worship the Lord. And here's the ironic thing. Jonah was running away from God and yet he realises that he can't get away from God. Because what does he say about God? He doesn't say... I worship the Lord, who is the God of a little plot of ground called is Palestine. You know, I worship the God of the Israelites, a little tribe. No. Who is this God that he worships, that he's running away from? The God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land it's ironic isn't it he thinks he can get it he's going to run away from the presence of the lord and yet he knows God controls all the earth and the sea and that's what happens to people when they run away from God our thinking becomes confused and illogical and irrational And how do they respond? Well, it's one of the greatest questions, I think, in the scriptures. What have you done? What parent hasn't said that to their kids or a spouse to their spouse? What have you done? You dope. The sea got rougher, verse 11 says. So they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? And he tells them that he he needs to be thrown overboard. But the sailors were actually compassionate, far more compassionate than Jonah. He does seem to have a hard heart. And if we harden our hearts against God, we can harden our hearts against others. And so the men try to row back to the land. They show their compassion, but it is hopeless. And so, verse 14, they turn to prayer. Originally, they called out to their gods, but, but obviously the words of Jonah has had an effect upon them. Isn't it ironic? Jonah is running away from telling the Assyrians about God And inadvertently, he tells the sailors. It's incredible, isn't it? The Assyrians are in the same category as the sailors. They're not Israelites. They're not Hebrews. But but Jonah actually tells them, in adverted commas, the Old Testament gospel. And what happens? They repent. They cry out, verse 14, Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. They understand the sovereignty of God. Now, obviously, Jonah may must have told them a lot more than what is in this chapter. He's very good at short sermons. When he gets to Nineveh, far better than me, he only gives an eight-word sermon. You'll look forward to that, won't you? But at this, verse 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These sailors do as a good Israelite would have done in those days. They come to know the God and they make a sacrifice and vow to him. They don't know any other way at the moment. And so the sailors are delivered. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. What do we learn from this passage? Three things can I draw out. First of all, if we're followers of the Lord Jesus, we need to be listening to his word and looking at ourselves and thinking, where is my sin? What am I cherishing here in my heart that I should be changing? What am I not being obedient to in regards to the word of God? Am I not being a generous person when I should be? Am I failing to be kind in some way? Whatever it might be. The second thing is this. I want you to be encouraged by what happens to the sailors. You know, we often talk with non-Christian people and we think, oh, and they'd say to us, If God would show me a sign. And we think, how inadequate is it? All I've got is the word of God to say to them. All I've got are words. But, you know, if God sort of hit them with a bolt of lightning or the person next to them or something like that, they might come to a faith. Or if God changed this, they might come to a faith. Or if I could do such and such... But often, all we've got is God's word. Shauna told Heather and I this story on Wednesday, that Shauna went um, somewhere and met a man and she started to talk to him and it turns out he was a Christian guy and asked what he did and found out and that he was a Christian he, and she said, ''How did you come to a faith in Jesus?'' And she said, well, I, he, came, he said, I came to a faith in Jesus and scripture in sixth class at East Linfield Primary School when Barry George was the minister. He came and talked and I became a Christian then. Now, Barry may know nothing about it, but you see... God's word works. I want you to be encouraged by it. We don't have anything else but God's word, and it is all powerful. And the last thing that I want to draw your attention to is that God is God, and we need to be obedient. He must be obeyed. God is the head of this household and he told me to say so. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us, each one of us, in regards to our particular needs and help us, Heavenly Father, to think through where we're at And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll change our lives if we need to. But we pray, Father, that you will also give us comfort, that we know from what took place in this first chapter that you are a deliverer. And we all have things, Father, where our heart yearns for deliverance. And so we pray be at work in our lives and those whom we love, that in your good time you will bring about deliverance. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.